0: Good evening, everyone. Good evening, sir. <laughs> We've been uh, looking at the spiritual authority of the believer for seven weeks now. This is our seventh week. Um, I want to summarize what I what I'd like you to really uh, grasp as you begin to apply and and use your authority. the The first thing is this that. If you don't recognize that you have authority, you'll never deploy it. If you don't have knowledge of of both the benefits and blessings of your authority and also the limitations of your authority, you will really never enjoy all of those wonderful benefits that are yours to have. You'll settle for living as a victim instead of a victor. You'll not know what it is to be more than a conqueror unless you know what your authority is in Christ. But it's not enough just to know it. You have to begin to believe it. You have to begin to agree with the Scriptures about your authority. You have to begin to exercise your faith because exercising your faith is actually exercising your authority. So faith words, authority words, are things like this, I confess... I repent, I renounce, I announce, I profess, I declare. It's beginning to realize that your prayer life is only half a prayer life if all it is is I ask. Because once you have, you have to to begin to deploy it. You have to begin to use it and apply it. And demons are not subject to your thoughts. They are subject to your words. Words have authority. They are tied to truth and truth comes from God. And the Holy Spirit Himself is the Spirit of truth. He empowers the words of truth that you confess and profess and declare. And when you take back ground that the enemy has had in your life, you have every right to do that, but you have to do it out loud. Not just wishfully. And then... The, the third thing, so you, you have to recognize your authority. You have to begin to believe and deploy your authority. But the third thing is you cannot have authority without intimacy. If you are not intimate with the king, the king will not release his authority to you. Because then all you want is the power. And you're dangerous with power. So there are, has to be an intimacy, a nearness to the king. And so as we think through that about our authority, then it, it kind of falls tonight to realize if I'm going to be intimate with the king, if I'm going to really draw near to Jesus, I have to understand my identity. Yes. I have to understand who I am, that how I approach is essential when I know who I am. I mean, have you ever had someone approach you for something and you just were put off by it? I mean, a lady came up to me at the beach one time and said, give me money. I didn't give her any money. I had no relationship to her. She was gruff. She was demanding. I I felt no guilt in not giving her any money because of the way she approached me. I was in uh, Paris, France, and Parisians are not known as the most polite people in the world. And yet, I was lost in a train station, and I came up to them, and I said, Please, can you help me? I am lost. And all the Parisians stopped what they were doing, and all of them talked to me, even in English, because I couldn't speak French. And they began to direct me to the train, and when I went to the wrong train, one guy ran across three tracks to make sure I didn't get on the wrong train. Do you understand what I'm saying? It all has to do with approach. When you approach wrongly, you don't receive. And there's power, there's blessing, there's benefits that are waiting for you (coughs) if you know who you are. I mean, John put it this way. He said, Jesus came unto His own, and His own received Him not. But as many as received Him, He gave them the right be called children of God. Yes, sir. That's the approach. That's the only approach, is that you don't have an identity that you earned, you have an identity that you received. It's not an identity based on your behavior, it's an identity based on the finished work, the suffering, the obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so tonight what we're going to look at, we're going to look at Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to actually look at a lot of Paul's teaching, but the the clear foundation for your identity is something called your union with Christ. Now, Gabe likes to do this. I'll try it out. Say back to me, union with Christ. Union with Christ. Alan was good. The rest of you sucked. Ah. <laughs> Come on, let's try it again. Union with Christ. that, That really is the foundation of everything. You're either united with Christ or it doesn't matter how good a person you are. You're either united with Christ or you will get defeated by the principalities and the powers and the rulers of this dark age. Because apart from that union with Christ, you have no power. So let's Look at this scripture together. I like it when we read. It's up on the, on the screen because I lost my glasses. So I, 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 have, I believe it's here, but I'm without sight. So uh, we'll read this together. It's up there. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. (laughs) <laughs> uh, i got to tell you a funny joke real quick. <laughs> so there's a group of people who listen every week from uh, western Pennsylvania. They listen to our podcast, or our live stream or podcast. So uh, they came here for a conference and they go, yeah, we know you, Mike. We want to meet Alan. <laughs> <laughs> we hear him. We want to see him. My feelings were hurt. (laughs) So we're talking about tonight this reality. And uh, my hope is I can convince you that the scripture's description of your life is more true than anything you've ever known. The fact of the matter is that though you are a physical being and you do encounter the world in a physical way, you are also a spiritual being. And as a spiritual being, when Adam fell, when Adam gave in to sin, what happened was that he reversed the way life was supposed to work your spirit is supposed to be in charge. And your body should be a willing partner. But in the fall, our spirit and our body got separated. And our body became the master. Our hungers, our drives, our desires became the master and the spirit became the slave. And because of that, We have hooks in us. We have connectors to a spiritual world that does not want what is best for us. So Paul calls this spiritual world, he says, it's where your fight really is. It's not really the people that annoy you or irritate you or those who have hurt you or wounded you. It's the spirits behind that that he calls principalities and powers Basically, he says that though you live in a physical realm, the battle is taking place in a heavenly realm that intersects with your life. And that God has so decreed, if you're a believer, that you're to live in that spiritual realm with the spiritual resources that Christ has purchased for you. But without those resources, you're as lost as anyone else is. Because you can't win it in your own willpower. You can't overcome it with your own physical, emotional, or mental abilities. It can only be fought in Christ. And so, what Paul makes clear in his teaching, and what is foundational to all his teaching, is that your union with Christ is the central point of victory. For a matter, as a matter of fact, one of the most famous verses we just read, that I want to know Christ, I want to know the power of His resurrection, and I want to be joined with Him in the fellowship of His sufferings. One writer says it this way, this is the Christian's 2020 vision. In the one eye, you are focused on being with Christ in such a way that you are not afraid to suffer for Christ or to go through whatever needs to be gone through in order to you to escape this body of sin and to begin to live as one who is alive in Christ. Paul says it this way, consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God. But the other side of it, and what I see with many Christians, is they don't have 20-20 vision. They have 20 and blindness. They will confess that they're sinners. They will cry when they are convicted. They will begin to say, oh God, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. But you see, that's only one eyesight. Because Paul said it isn't enough just to recognize that you're a sinner. He says it's only enough when you begin to live in the power of His resurrection. You're not called to just be under. You're called to be over. You're called to overcome. And the problem I see with so many Christians is they have faith for their confession, but they have no faith for their sanctification. They have no faith for their holiness. They have no faith for their righteousness. They have no faith that it's going to get better, or that there's blessing. And you see, for your authority to really be exercised in your life, you have to have 2020 vision. The one eye, always able, ready to do whatever it takes to join Christ in His sufferings, to be sacrificial in your life, to live knowing even that for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But to have that other eye that says, yes, those things are true, but that's not the whole story. The whole story is I've been raised with Christ. I am seated with Christ at the right hand of the Father. And though Satan wants to get over on me, his actual position with me is under my feet. Because if Christ is far above Satan, and you are in Christ, then you are far above Satan. But that's only true, friends, because you are in union with Christ. See, the issue with a lot of people is they think they became Christians... By adopting a morality or they adopted a philosophy or they joined a religion. That is not the case in Christianity. You are not a Christian unless Christ is in you and you are in Christ. There is no other way to be there's not there's not like a little pregnant. You're either all pregnant or you're not. I mean, it's that, it's that, it is that drastic and it is that real. And what happens is, a lot of people who grew up in religious, legalistic, you know, performance-based Christianity have never realized that the thing that matters is not your behavior. It's your union. Am I united to Christ? Do I understand that He is now my life and I am now His? And uh, no one can take this away from me. I, I like doing weddings sometimes. Uh, I don't like them when I see that the people aren't going to make it. Because they have no idea what they're getting into. They don't understand the commitment that they're making to each other. You understand when you make a covenant with somebody of love, you're actually making a covenant of unconditional love. You're, you're saying to them you will love them till death us do part. You're saying to them that there's nothing about this person that could ever stop you from loving them. That's never the case. I mean, all you have to do if you're a woman is, is, is wake up next to this guy and smell. I mean, and... and, and <laughs> And see his clothes, or vice versa. I mean, I have seen. I mean, I have seen people break up entire marriages because the toilet paper wasn't going in the right direction. <laughs> you see, it is possible to speak union and never be united. It's it's possible, in, particularly in our society, to be. Physically naked with someone, but never personally naked with them. Of sharing bodies, but not lives. And and so the idea that I'm talking about tonight is essential for you, but I have a feeling most of us don't really understand it. And I got to tell you this, if you start to understand this, nobody will ever be able to mess with you again. You will understand how loved you are. You will understand how safe you are. Because you see, even though you don't know how to love, and and I know you're just so happy you came for me to say that to you tonight. The one who joined his life to yours, he knows what unconditional love is. And when he promised, I do to you, he knew what he was getting into. See, the problem when we get married is we, we can't unconditionally love each other because we want something from each other. We need something from each other. Matter of fact, I mean, Lisa, I don't know if she's here tonight, so I'm going to tell this story. I tell it anyway. So this week... Uh, Lisa and I have been on a diet for a while. We're trying to get healthier, lose weight, whatever. So we have no comfort anymore. I mean, no cookies, you know, no cupcakes, nothing to soothe our nerves. So we're talking to each other, and all of a sudden it sounds like tension has risen to DEFCON 5 or so. You know, she sounds like she's mad at me. I sound like I'm mad at her. And, we, and Monday afternoon, I remember we just went after it with each other. And I, I don't know, even remember what we were mad about. <laughs> you know, I, I, because, but I know this I wanted something from her, she wanted something from me. And so we came at each other in very conditional communication. We came at each other in very conditional kind of of love towards each other because I know I pouted <clears throat> insulted and I think she did too, but I, I'll let her confess her sins. <laughs> She's gonna kill me. <laughs> you see, you have no other union with anybody in the world who wants nothing from you. And who needs nothing from you. See, because he sits at the right hand of God, because he's forever in an eternal love relationship with the Father, he has everything to give and he needs nothing from you. And he united himself to you. And the only picture the scripture gives that's even close is the union of marriage. You are one with Jesus. And Jesus is one with you. And his unconditional love is connected to you. You see, if you get that and you understand that, even if you fail, you fall down, you fall apart, you wander, whatever it might be, you will realize there's nothing genuine out there but him. There's no one else who can love you without conditions. Because there's a, almost everyone has met people who said, I love you, but then they found a condition that they didn't have to love us anymore. And someone who said, I'll never hurt you, and yet they're the very ones who hurt us the worst. Because they needed something from us, or they wanted something from us, or they weren't complete. There is no other union that you'll ever have with any other person who is complete. Only Jesus can give. And not have to take. That's the union that He has initiated with you. You see, that's the gospel. That's Christianity. And that can't be contained in religion or behavior or morality. It is the thing your heart has always needed and wanted. But is the thing that you can only receive by grace through faith. Are you tracking with me in this? Yes. Well, where does this notion then, I like this word, where does the notion of this union come from? Because this is central to our, our very knowledge of Christ. So Paul says this in the, the passage that we, we read. He says, I want to know him. And he wants to know him in a way that's not just knowledge, you see. Uh, you can have knowledge of the resurrection. You can have knowledge of the cross. But he's talking about a knowledge in which he actually encounters and experiences the resurrection power within him. He wants it unleashed in him. And he wants also to have such a deep experience of the cross that he knows exactly what it was that was paid for in his life. So he doesn't ever want to take for granted this love that God has for him in Christ. And so he wants to experience the very things that Jesus himself went through. So Paul put himself at risk. Uh, He tells a little bit about his personal story. He he had spent his whole life to reach the pinnacle of Judaism. He had spent his, his training with one of the greatest rabbis who has ever existed. He's still one of the top three rabbis that's ever existed. And Paul... Outstripped even his rabbi, and he says it in this he says, he says in this, he goes, You know if anybody had confidence in the flesh, it's me. And what he's really saying there is, I was better than everybody else. It's just a nice little biblical way of saying that, but he's saying, i was I was the top of my class, I was number one and and, and he says. But I'm going to tell you about that. It's, it's dog dung. It's useless. It's not even good for fertilizer, he says. I count it as loss. I lost time doing that. I reached the heights of, of the political and religious strata, and I count it all as waste. But here's what he counts As worth some. In verse 21, he speaks of an ultimate union with Christ. That when Christ comes, you and I will be transformed. Our bodies of humiliation will become bodies of glory. You know, I don't know how much you love theology, but you are here on a Saturday night, so I'm going to give you some. Imagine right now, as best you can, with your own vision. Your own Holy Spirit-filled vision. The Lord Jesus Christ, who is the eternal Son of God, He is the second person of the Trinity, but He is also fully man, and now He is glorified. And when the Apostle John, who loved Him so deeply, saw Jesus in His glorified humanity, John fell at His feet as one dead. And what Paul is saying here is the body that John saw is the body that will be yours forever. That in the same way, if you go to Revelation and you read that descriptor of Jesus where it talks about his hair and his his voice and his clothes, John was so dazzled by it that he fell as a dead man. And what Paul's saying here Is that if you are in union with Christ right now in your humility, in the humiliation even of this body that is falling apart, then you will be raised with him. And the body Jesus has is the body you will have. That's the union. But it's the ultimate part of it. And Paul said, see, Paul is saying, I'm willing to suffer anything in this body of humiliation for Christ because I know what he's going to do for me when I see him in glory. Talk about no more cancer. No more diabetes. No more arthritis. You know, some of you are really young. You don't know what I'm talking about yet. Those of us who do. You see, it is not an end and then something new. Paul calls it a completion. Mm -hmm. Where everything that's going on right now will not be wasted. When the perfect comes, he says. So here, I mean, I love the progression in the letter to the Ephesians. Paul says, you were chosen in Him. You are raised with Him. And you are made like Him for all eternity. Isn't that powerful? Yes. Well, you may, you may struggle a little bit and say, okay, how does he, you know, how does he draw these conclusions? Well, let's, let's, let's talk about his story a little bit. What changed Paul's life, now, he had this amazing encounter with Jesus, but something prepared him for that encounter. In the book of Acts, we are told that the synagogue that Paul was a part of It was from his region. It was in Jerusalem, but it was from his region of the world where he was from was Tarsus in an area called Cilicia. And the synagogue where they came out and they heard Stephen preaching the gospel. Stephen, who was appointed as a deacon, but really was an evangelist. And Stephen, they hear him and they come and they grab Stephen. And Paul is giving his approval to Stephen. Now, This encounter with Stephen shook Paul to the core. Now, at that point, he was called Saul. And it shook him to the core because the Bible says none of them could withstand the wisdom and the spirit in Stephen. I don't know about you, but when I hear that, hear myself even saying that, I go, oh, God, let that be true of me. The wisdom and the spirit in Stephen shook Saul, who became Paul. Now look, this is is what happened. See, Saul, his whole life had been able to out-argue, out-reason, out-zeal, out-holiness, everybody he knew. But here he encountered with Stephen something he could not overcome. So here is Stephen had everything that Saul of Tarsus didn't have, and Stephen had even more. He had you understand, he had done everything he could to have what Stephen had. But there was nothing that Saul of Tarsus could do except either yield to Stephen's preaching or and to Stephen's savior, or destroy Stephen and Stephen's sta- savior and to destroy all who belong to Stephen's Savior. Do you know which choice he made? He chose not to yield. He chose to destroy. So he gave his approval to stoning of Stephen. And he was on his way to go kill all the other followers of Jesus. See, he knew. Do you understand? Do you understand? In a way, if you want to know what sin this is, it's covetousness. It's envy. You have what I want to have, so I'm going to get rid of you. See, that's the body enslaving the spirit. I have to have what I have to have, no matter what it, ca- it takes. So then the Lord Jesus meets Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus. He flattened him on the ground with his glory. Notice what he says. You would think he would say, Saul, why are you persecuting Stephen? Or Saul, why are you persecuting the church? No, that's not what he says. Remember what Jesus said? In the, what you have done to the least of these, you have done to me. And so, what does Saul hear? Saul, why are you persecuting me? You see, in that encounter with Jesus, in his first real encounter with the risen Christ, he realized Christ was in the believers, and the believers were in Christ. That when they were hurt, Jesus was hurt. When they were protected, Jesus was protected. And it formed in his initial conversion, it formed his whole thinking on the faith. And on our identity, you see, he began to realize that a Christian's identity was his union with Jesus Christ. And Jesus is uniting with the Christian. Now, think about this. I like this quote. It can mean nothing less than that those who have come to faith in Jesus Christ are united to Jesus Christ so that Christ, as it were, places them under the umbrella of his own grace. Can you just see that for a minute? Maybe I'll do like VBS. Put your umbrella up right now. You know, like it's vacation Bible school. In other words, if you're in Christ and you might be right under that umbrella going, man, it's tough out here. That's the fellowship of his sufferings. But in the midst of the fellowship of his sufferings, you're under the umbrella. Nothing you're ever going through is ever alone. You might say, but you don't know. I screwed up. I have messed up. Guess what? He united with you. He goes through thick and through thin. This is what he means when he says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. In a way, he's saying you're stuck with me. (laughs) So we get the umbrella of his grace, and then everything that Christ has done for the Christian, and all the resources that God has stored up for us of wisdom and knowledge, they're all there by the grace of God through the Holy Spirit. In other words, as you're battling this battle and you're going through this war, where have you put your confidence? Have you put it in that you can outsmart, that you can outzeal, that you can you know, be more righteous, that you can out whatever other people? Paul, who was better than any of us in this room, According to righteousness, he said he was blameless. I can't say that. And yet he says, I count all of that as lost to be under the umbrella of the grace. To be united with Christ. To realize that the way he loves Stephen, he loves me. That when Paul got it in his head and realized I wasn't just killing Stephen, I was killing Christ. So because of his experience with Christ on the Damascus Road, he's brought to a living faith. And it's that experience that shapes his whole life and his whole ministry. The truth is that every person's initial encounter with Jesus, generally speaking, becomes the foundation of their ministry for the rest of their lives. How you meet Jesus becomes the theme for which now you share your love and your life with other people. For example, in the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah met the fire of God, met the presence of God. You remember he said, woe is me, I'm a man undone. And his very first encounter with God was holy, holy, holy. You know, It was the, it was the, the glory and the beauty and the majesty of the holiness of God. And so all of Isaiah's writings, if you go back, it's always about the Holy One of Israel. It's his heart, it's his burden that the people of Israel would know the holiness of God. So here's Paul. Meets Christ on the road to Damascus and in that moment he realizes if you're a Christian, you're in union with Jesus. And Jesus is in union with you. And if you read his letters, you'll see he puts this preposition more than any other. We are in Christ. Christ is in us. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Do you understand that that initial encounter with Jesus formed the basis where he said every believer has to know that they are in Christ and that Christ is in me. Yes, sir. Are you hearing me tonight? Yes, sir. Well, let me take you a little deeper. I know it's Saturday night. but In the Bible, there really are only two people standing before God. One is the first Adam, and the other is the second Adam. And Paul calls Jesus the second Adam. And when it comes down to your judgment, when it comes down to God dealing with you, he will not deal with you directly. He will deal with you through which Adam you are united to. So if you are united to the first Adam then the wages of sin is death. If you're united to the second Adam, then the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You understand, you're not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you're a sinner. And there has to be a radical transformation of the heart, but more than that. There has to be a radical transformation of lineage and heritage. I love my parents, but my heritage is not in my parents. That's a heritage of cursing. My heritage is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. I will always respect my parents. I love I've loved them and pray for them, but let me tell you something, that's not my family. My family and the line of blessing is anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, because anyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. Now I know it's, I mean, I'm, I'm giving you some good stuff right here. Are you letting it come in? Is that, you're letting it come in? It's pretty deep. You understand? This is the problem. So many think they're just going to they're going to waltz up to God at the judgment and say, "We got a deal. We got a bargain." They'll never get there. They'll either be in the line of Adam or the line of Jesus. And if you're in the line of Jesus, think of all the blessings that he's gotten for us. There's therefore now no condemnation. His righteousness has become your righteousness so that now you are the righteousness of God in Christ. That's an amazing thing. Though your sins were as scarlet, now they're white as snow. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned our own way, but the Lord laid on our Adam the iniquity of us all. By his stripes you are healed. And you begin to realize... All of that belongs to me. All of that is mine. This is Paul's teaching in Romans 5 and 6. See, the gospel then is is this, that your present, my present, is rooted in the past. You have to go backwards to what Christ has done to go forwards into what you are to do and be. Should I say that again? Your present is rooted in the past. See, this is the beauty of Christian faith. My faith doesn't make it so. My faith accepts it because it is so. I look back on that finished work. I realize what that work means. I look to the past. That you need to go backwards to what Christ has done to go forwards into what you are to do and then be. It is what has become known in our contemporary world as an emphasis on the grandeur of the already and the mopping up operations of the not yet. You see it somewhat in Galatians uh, 2.20-2.21. I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. You see, there's an already and a not yet. See, in a few words, Paul summarizes the work of Jesus by saying the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. And because of that, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but not I, but Christ lives in me. See, in just these three prepositions, in, for, and with, Paul summarizes the basic structure of our union with Christ. All right, I'm going to. I got one more section. I see I'm more over there, so I'm trying to hurry. But will you stay with me on this? See. You were chosen in Jesus before the foundation of the world. He came at just the right time as your substitute and to be your representative. There is the sense in which we now know through faith that we were crucified with Him. And that the past that once dominated us has been nailed to the cross. See, that's how you go back to the past. He nailed your past to the cross. The dominion of sin. Remember, the authority you have is a dominion. And what has had authority over you before the cross and without the cross is sin itself has dominion over you. But that dominion reigned over you until it has been broken in Christ. Christ died for us and we have been crucified with Him. He didn't just die for you. You died with Him. You were there. That's an awesome truth. All right, stay with me on this. A third dimension to our union with Christ is a mutual union, which not only are we said to be in Christ, but Christ, the Lord of glory and all the fullness of his role as our benefactor comes to dwell in the heart of the merest, tiniest believer. Our forefathers used to say it this way. One man may have a greater faith than another man but no man has a greater Christ than another man. Want to say it again? One man may have a greater faith than another man, but no man has a greater Christ than another man. And he dwells in each of us. Isn't that awesome? I got to hurry. So here's this central role of the union with Christ in your identity. Romans 6, 5 says, if you've been united with Him in a death like His, you will certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. Because of our union with Christ, our old man was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Remember before, your spirit was enslaved to the hungers of your body. Now in Christ, your spirit is made alive and set free to control and to partner with your body. The death he died was not merely for sin, but to sin. In other words, he didn't just die for your sins, but he went into the dominion of sin. You ever wonder why he didn't just come back to life two hours later? Because he allowed himself to go into the depths of sin. He allowed Himself to go into the very dominion of sin. And He defeated that sin because it had nothing on Him. Easter's coming. It's a silly illustration, but when I was a kid, I loved to play with a beach ball. And no matter how long you tried to keep the beach ball underwater, eventually the beach ball was going to rise up and as a kid, we figured out how we could make it rise up to highest with velocity, you know. Let me just tell you, when Jesus went down into the dominion of sin, there was nothing that could keep him down. He stayed down there long enough to defeat sin for you. And then he blew a hole out the backside of death for you. And he rose up like, like a springy beach ball. Because nothing could hold him down. And this teaching tonight is that your identity, central to your identity, is you are united with the one who went into the dominion of sin and defeated sin, who went against the very... and looked like he was defeated himself, but on the third day, sin and death had nothing on him and he rose again from the dead. And that very spirit lives in you. You might be the tiniest believer here. But that's no tiny Jesus. That's the mighty Jesus. Isn't that awesome when you begin to realize that? Peter says when Jesus entered into the dominion of sin and death, death used all its power to hold Him down. For all the time Jesus is exhausting and breaking the dominion of sin so that when He rises... It's clear that the dominion of sin has been broken. Paul is not under the dominion of sin. He says he is united to Jesus. Yes, in distinction from the Lord Jesus, sin is still present in me. Still, Sin is still in the unresurrected world around me. But because I'm united to Christ, sin no longer has dominion over me. I am in the position of responding to sin in the power of the very same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. Will you stand with me? Does this make sense to you tonight? I think that the only people it wouldn't make sense to are ones who already think they're good Christians. Because it would not be so marvelous to realize, I have to count all this stuff as loss. You know, all my seminary training, all my my Greek and my Hebrew and all of that. Because I can tell you, when I first started learning, I just felt so proud of myself. I used to take my Greek New Testament to it's a, it's a church so people could see I was reading out of the original language. I mean, there's just something in, in, in us that fights against this union. We want to do it ourselves. We want power, but we don't want presence. But here's where the power is, right? There isn't a single strength that you had have, have that will do anything in that heavenly realm. But you are united to the one who went into that realm and defeated sin and defeated death. And he says, "Come with me." Now, I have to say this last part cuz you you have to understand how practical this is. Remember when Paul said If you join your body to the body of a prostitute, you become one with that prostitute. You know what he's saying there? He's saying you're joining Jesus with the prostitute. Because you're joined to Jesus. You are one with him. You can't say to Jesus when you're about to go in a brothel, just wait out here. I'll be finished in a minute. You can't do that. So you do your things to satisfy your hungers and you grieve the Holy Spirit. Because He's not going to leave you. You're spending your time on your computer looking at pornography. Jesus is looking at the pornography. When you lie, Jesus is in that lie. And He's going, please don't do that. You understand, years ago they used to have that thing, what would Jesus do? It really was not a very good understanding. Because what you're doing, he's doing. It's a lot bigger than that. And God has said this. He said, you're my plan for the world to see my love and my wisdom. Now, I got to finish, but I'm too much fun. You might ask a question, okay, here was this amazing man, Stephen. He's full of wisdom, he's full of the Spirit, but his life was really short. So what happens if my life doesn't turn out the way I think it should? Well, think about this for a minute. Stephen's short life produced life in the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul is giving life to you and me. We just don't know how God will use us if we yield it. But it's much more than you could ask, think, or imagine. Would you just open your hands to the Lord for me? Would you receive? Your faith, your intimacy with Jesus activates a power in your life like never before. His power is not limited by your lack of faith, but the activation of that power is limited in you. Would you speak to Him tonight and say, I am united with you. You are united to me. We have oneness. I live in a yet sinful world, but I live in the power of the resurrection. And I do not fear the fellowship of your sufferings. I just believe, you know, many of you would do this, you would probably ask the Lord, and you would say, Lord, give me that 2020 vision. But here's where faith steps in, and you instead of saying, Lord, will you give it to me? Will you, I believe He's already given it to you. Will you activate it? Like when you get an ATM card, you can't use it until you activate it. Money's yours. But you can't use it till you activate it. Tonight, activate that 2020 vision. Say it with me. I activate my fellowship with your sufferings and the power of the resurrection. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being here tonight. God bless you.